Well, we're going to continue our series through the hard sayings of Jesus, and the title of the message, if you look on your handout, is Who is this Jesus? Now, if you look at the handout, sometimes we do outlines, but tonight, I thought as we work through it, I'm asking questions on there, and if it's helpful, do it. As I ask questions, fill it in. If it's not helpful, use the note side. If it's not helpful at all to even do the notes or to look at the questions that I ask, just listen in. Look in, your, in the word of God. So whatever is most helpful for you, use it. And so as introduction, I want to read a story. The story goes like this. One time, I heard of a college student that took a freshman writing class with a teacher that hated the good news of Jesus Christ. And this teacher who hated Jesus Christ knew that this student was a Christian and asked the student in front of the class, is Jesus the only way to heaven? The student was in a difficult spot. If the student says yes, then the student knows that he would be mocked humiliated in front of the whole class. If this student says no, then he's a liar and that he's ashamed of the God of the universe. So luckily, the student said, yes, I do believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. What followed were phrases from the teacher like this. That is the most arrogant, bigoted, close-minded thing I have ever heard. And for that student, that, those verbal blows continued for the rest of class. Now, I don't know if you are in a class like this at Montana State, or maybe you have friends, or maybe you have family that have said things like this, maybe not as direct, but similar things. What? Jesus is the only way. You are so close-minded. Certainly, we get that from our culture, but the purpose tonight is pointed. What I want to do tonight in this sermon is show from Scripture that Jesus is, in fact, the only way to heaven. The text that we will go to this evening is John 14, 1 through 7. And now the thrust of this passage is Jesus giving comfort to his men before his departure. So I hear some of you grabbing your Bibles, but let's all of us grab our Bibles. Let's turn it to the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be in chapter 14, and I'm going to read our key text for this evening, and it comes to us out of verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let that sink in a little bit. And if we're going to read one verse out of here, and this is certainly a hard saying, we need to ask questions like, who was Jesus speaking to? It says, he said to him. We need to say, we need to ask questions like, when was this said? 
And so our, our first question that I want to discover is when was this said? Now, I want to know when this is said as far as when is this taking place in Jesus' ministry? Is this right at the beginning? As if, follow me, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is this towards the end, right before Jesus leaves and dies on a cross? When is this? So turn with me. We're in chapter 14. Just turn, or you may just look at chapter 13, depending on your Bible. And verse 1 says this. Now before the feast of the Passover. And so that's what we're going to consider. Before the feast of the Passover. Now we don't have time to look at all the other Gospels, but if we look at them, what we find is that this is Thursday. Jesus will die on Friday. This is before the Passover. Jesus will die on the Passover. Thursday is also when they spent time together, just the disciples, and Friday early morning is when Judas is going to betray Jesus and Jesus will be killed on Friday. Now turn to chapter 18 of John, to the right, a few pages. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Judas had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. What is interesting is that we know that Judas is going to betray Jesus. And now chapter 18, we actually get John telling us that. So if you're following along, you better understand, or you, you, not as if you have to understand, but I said, you, it's good to understand that chapters 13 through 17 are hours before Jesus' betrayal and just the day before Jesus' death. This is significant. And when we understand that, when we look at that, at least when I studied this, I was smacked right in the face by this. I mean, this is hours before Jesus is betrayed. He will die on a cross the next day. And so there's a little bit of urgency, there's a little bit of intimacy here going on. Now, that was the first question. When does this take place in Jesus' ministry? The second point is who is the target audience? Who is this he that Jesus is talking about in, verse, or in chapter 14, verse six that we read? So turn back to John chapter 13. And now I'm gonna continue to read verses, and I'm gonna read through one through five, and we're gonna pick up on some very key details. Chapter 13, verses one through five. 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, we've already, we already understand this is Thursday now. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Just one second. Chapter 18, we see that actually taking place. Right? We just read that. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God, was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So what kind of nuggets do we find out from John just talking here about right getting into the night before his death. Well, we find out that in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In John's gospel, what the focus is now becoming is that Jesus is fully committed or fully intentional with his own men. So these are the disciples. We see that also because his disciples are mentioned in verse 5. He began to wash the disciples' feet. And it also says in verse 2, during supper, and we figure this out, that, that they're celebrating the Passover meal together. Just his men with Jesus. And what's interesting is when you read this, What you find out about this section is that that little phrase in the end of verse one, he loved them to the end, is the focus of John. He loved them to the end. Yes, to the end of his life. Yes, he's gonna pour his life into them. He has been and he's gonna continue. But also that he loved them completely, fully. He loved them to the end. And so I would argue that this is the focus of John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that he loved them to the end. And he displays it in this chunk of scripture by being an example to them. He washes his men's feet. He displays his love by encouraging them. He's teaching them. He's he's telling them the things that are about to happen. We also see a large portion of Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit here. When I go, I will send the Comforter. And also, it concludes with him praying. Praying to the Father on behalf of his men and also, if you've studied that before, us who would believe through them. And so Jesus' focus is his love for his men here. He's getting them ready for his leaving, his departure. And so if I'm just going to recap before we continue through, we need to remember a few things. This is hours before Jesus will be betrayed by Judas and killed the next day. Jesus' focus is on his men that he loves. This is the focus. And so the text that we come to tonight is even though we use John 14, 6 often in evangelism, and I think it's worthwhile, we, we should, it's a great text, but I, we need to make sure that we understand the context of what it's said. It's not just smack somebody in the face with a verse. 
even though it is going to smack us in the face tonight with the truth of it. But we need to understand that really Jesus tells them that out of his love for them. And so look in your Bible. We're in chapter 13. Go to verse 31. I'm going to read that section all the way through John 14, 7. We're going to get a real running start. We've kind of taken a big picture of John 13 through 17. Now we're going to get more focused and we're going to end in John 14, 6. Verse 31, chapter 13. Therefore, when he, that's Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews now, I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. I think with the background that I've gave so far, it better helps us understand what's going on here. Doesn't it? Look back at chapter 13, verse 33. Little children... Jesus, very intimate with his men, and he cares for them. It just comes out when you even say that. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews now, I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. What I want us to think on is what happens if you were one of his disciples? You, you've heard Jesus talk with the Jews and out of his uh, condemnation of them because they wouldn't trust him, he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And now he tells his men who he loves, little children, I'm going away and you can't follow me. I mean, just think about your heart there. Three years with Jesus. 
the only one in your life that has ever loved you perfectly, that's pointed out your sin in a loving way and not a harsh way, the one that came beside you and has always encouraged you, and he says, I'm leaving and you can't come with me. They had to have been heartbroken. Had to have been. And look at what verse 36 says. Even though Jesus says to love one another, Simon Peter's focused in on, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter can't believe it. He wants to go. So certainly in here, we've got to imagine these disciples very confused. Very confused and heartbroken. And so this brings us to our text. This brings us to John 14. With confused men, heartbroken men, which makes sense how why verse 1 of chapter 14 says what it does. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. These words are not sharp. They're not smacking you in the face kind of stuff. They're endearing. Jesus wants to comfort his men. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be in distress. Don't let them be troubled. And yet we know from the context that they had to have been. They don't get it. And so Jesus continues in verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is saying, I'm headed to the Father. And there's many places to live there. And then we see, do you see just the compassion of Jesus here? Because he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not holding anything back from you. If it was not so, I would have told you. And I cannot believe this, for I go to prepare a place for you. He's heading to prepare a place for his men. So I hope I'm helping you see that Jesus is very comforting, very comforting here. Verse three continues it. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. These two verses had to have been such a comfort to their men, to these men here. Because he says, I'm going to the Father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not hiding anything. And if I go to prepare a place, guess what? I'm going to come back for you so that I can be with you. So Jesus is leaving for their advantage. And he's gonna come back for them. Which makes sense why verse one says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm gonna come back for you so that we can be together. And then John, or I mean, uh, excuse me, and Jesus makes this statement, and you know the way where I'm going. You know how to get there. You know where I'm going and you know the way. 
And yet, the men just don't get it. And we see that because in verse 5, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? So even though Jesus is very clear that he's headed back to the Father, that he's going to get a place ready for them, that he's going to come back, and then he's going to gather them, and we're going to go back together, Thomas, often we even would call him doubting Thomas at times, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? How do I know the way? And I can't really blame Thomas here because the Jewish mindset, if you read throughout the New Testament over and over again, is that the Jews thought that the Messiah's coming, he's going to set up his kingdom, we're going to get rid of this Rome thing that keeps bothering us, and we're going to reign with the Messiah. And in Scripture, that is true. When Jesus comes, he will reign. And yet, they didn't read other Scripture that talked about Jesus or the Messiah coming as a suffering servant. And so their mindset is like, wait a second, you can't go. Even though Jesus is telling them he's going and he's going to come back for them, they just, it doesn't click. They don't get it. No, no, Jesus, we can't do that. We're ready to get going with this kingdom program. And so this is the mindset, this is the struggle that these men are going through at this moment. To get us to our hard saying of Jesus, which is found here in John 14, 6. Now, I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, but I wonder how many of you, when I read John 14, 6 for the first time, you went, wow, that was really pointed. But I wonder how many of you realized the context and what was going on before he says it. Not that there's any less significance to what he says it, but I think it even, this is an encouragement. You know where I'm going. And even as we see in verse 6, Jesus encourages his men and he says this to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But remember what Thomas's question is. We do not know where you're going and we don't know the way. And Jesus, as an encouragement, says, I am the way. It's me. I am the way. Now, before we really get into this, like I said, I want this to be an encouragement, but I also realize that our culture gets really worked up about this. They really don't like this. Just like the example that I read at the beginning of that was a real college student. I, just, I didn't make that up. That was a real college student. There might be some real college students in here that you can say, yeah, that's pretty much me. I've done that. I've been there. Or you've been in a class where that's happened. And so this is a hard saying. I'm not, I don't want to scoot around that whatsoever. This is a hard saying. But for believers... I want you to fix your eyes on him as we work through this. I want you to trust him more. I want you to love him more. I want you to be sure that we can, as Christians, we can have convictions. It's okay. We can say, yeah, Jesus is the only way. Not in a rude way to other people, but we can say, from the word of God, I'm convinced and I see that Jesus is it. 
And we can have convictions. We can trust it. And so it brings us up to our first point. Jesus said to him, I am. Now, I just want to briefly, this is an I am statement. We don't necessarily capitalize it, at least in the NASB, it's not capitalized. But this is a claim of deity of Jesus. Because in Exodus 3, that's God's name. He's, Moses says, who should I say, what's your name? Well, who should I say that sent me? I am sent you. This is a claim of deity by Jesus here. When he says, I am. And the Jews knew it because even in Jesus' early ministry, he has this confrontation with the religious leaders and he says, before Abraham was, I am. This is a claim of deity by Jesus. And so what follows is, Jesus said to him, I am the way. What's interesting is that we don't find that Jesus says, uh, let me tell you the way. What you need to do is you need to follow this path. You need to do that. And on the path, there's rules to do. And there's, you've got to attend church. And you must be baptized. And you've got to do this and you've got to do that. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to tell you about a way to get there. But he says, I am the way. He himself, he's it. He is the way. And so then it continues, and Jesus says the next statement, and the truth. Okay, before we get into this, I'm in a philosophy class right now at Montana Bible College, and so I have the advantage to have been thinking about this for many months, or at least a couple months. And uh, not that I'm an expert by any means, but I've got to help, help us in our culture understand what does it mean that Jesus is the truth. And so when we think of truth in our culture, often what we think about is using our minds that something's out here, something out there, and I've got to engage my mind to understand it, and that's truth. It's something out here, and I've got to use my mind, and I've got to get it. Yeah, that's truth. I've got to go grab it, right, with my mind. Okay? That's kind of it. And so even a Christian perspective, if I want to learn truth about God, what I need to do is think about things that the Bible says in my own mind and in my own reason. I want to learn the truth of them. I want to understand them with my mind. The problem is, is if we stop with our mind, we haven't quite got what Scripture says about the truth yet. Gail Heidi, Dr. Heidi at the Montana Bible College, in his book, Domesticated Glory, writes this, quote, John, he's talking about the Apostle John, would then consider truth to be a mark of the human character rather than a statement of fact or principle. John is inclined to think of truth as something to be, listen to this, practiced perhaps even limiting his primary reference to truth as what, what may be seen in action rather than simply what someone says, end quote. Did you catch what Dr. Heidi says here about truth? That its focus is not on the statement or the words or the thing out there, but on the action. Truth, then, can be practiced 
can be seen, touched, modeled. Truth. See, but that's hard for us. I, I even, even as I've studied this, it's hard for me because of our culture and our mindset and the enlightenment. You might not even know what that means, but I'm in philosophy, so you know, I kind of understand that a little better now. But like the, like the Pharisees, they were false not so much for what they said, but how they lived. They lived lie. They lived false. It's not just what they said. It's not just what they thought, but it's what they did. It can be action. So to get a better handle on this, I hope that this is helpful, let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to turn to the left here. John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, a couple things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word is God, okay? He was in the beginning with God. So distinct from the Father, but God. Look at verse 14, chapter 1. And the Word, okay, became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, What's interesting is that Jesus became flesh, the Word became flesh, that He dwelt among us, that we saw His glory, and that He was full of grace and, here's our word, truth. So it's not limited to just the true statements that Jesus made, but that we see truth in Jesus. He is the truth. That's what our text says. So we see truth. Now, that's weird for us because we think it's like a concept out here, remember? It's hard, but we can see the truth. Jesus is the truth. Another passage that I want us to turn to is Hebrews chapter 1. So that's to the right in our Bibles. And uh, if you hit uh, the T's, so we're going to hit Titus. We're going to hit First and Second Timothy, then Titus. Then we're going to hit Philemon. And then we're going to hit Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. This is just a brief introduction. I Domesticated Glory is in the back, Dr. Gail Heidi's book. If you want more on truth, uh, please pick up that book. It is extremely helpful. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in uh, to the fathers in the prophets, and in many portions and in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Here we go. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So what we find out about Jesus is that he is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. He is the truth. 
There is no false in him. He is completely divine. He is completely perfect. And he is the truth. We see truth lived out in Jesus. In other words, we in our culture seek for truth in our minds and often think is abstract or out there. The Bible teaches, however, that Jesus himself is the truth. We can know the truth intellectually and we can practice the truth by being like who is truth, Jesus. We can see the truth. We can know the truth. And it's Jesus Christ. Really, it's, then we're in this awkward situation because it gets this pointed. If we trust in anything other than Jesus, you trust a lie. Jesus is the truth. Turn back to John. We'll go back to John chapter 14. I told you this is a hard saying. But it's a good saying. It's a great saying. Jesus continues. Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. Interesting, scripture talks about life and death and because of sin, we are dead. We have no life at all. So Jesus is the true life. Jesus is real life. He is the only life. Jesus is the life. Go to chapter 11, verse 25. Let's unpack this life thing. Jesus, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection in the life. We don't go somewhere else. We don't follow some other way to try to get life. But Jesus himself is life. Listen to what 1 John 5.20 says. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ this is the true God and eternal life God is Jesus is life Life eternal is found in Jesus, not another way, not through baptism, not through any other thing, but Jesus himself. So let's go back to John chapter 14. Again, Thomas's question. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? How do we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. Not a road to walk, not something to check off, but Jesus himself is the way. He's the truth. Jesus is the truth. He himself embodies the truth. Truth, listen to this, is subjective to Jesus. 
He's life. Jesus is the life. Jesus is true life. As sinful people, we are dead, but Jesus is life. He himself. And no one, if we continue, comes to the Father but through me, through Jesus. And I stopped here, and as I studied this, I just went like this. This only makes sense. If Jesus is the way, if he is the truth, and he is the life, where else am I going to go? This really doesn't make sense to go somewhere else. And it makes sense that he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. It only makes sense. And it makes sense why writers in Scripture, like in Acts 4.12, say, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Or 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. This only makes sense. Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Only through Jesus will anyone be saved. If you've forgotten, humanity is in a terrible situation. We are sinful. From the time that we are conceived, God is holy, totally set apart. He can't even dwell with sin. And yet he sends his only son, who we've just looked at. We've just looked at that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He sends his son in the flesh, as we've read. And we haven't gotten to this part in Scripture, but just shortly from when this was written by John, chronologically, Jesus will die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus came and he's perfect from the Father, the exact representation. And he goes to the cross. And I'm telling you, if you don't know him, you got to get to know him. You got to trust him. He's the truth, he's the life, he's the way that no one comes to the Father but through him. You gotta know him. And remember, from our context, this isn't just a slap in the face to his men. This is an encouragement. Thomas, you know the way. I'm it. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You know how to get there. Because it's me. The one that says I'm going to my father's house and that I'm gonna, I'm gonna prepare a place for you. I'm gonna come back for you. He's it. And so if you're trusting in anything, if you're trusting in your church attendance or coming to cross life or even singing or reading your Bible, you missed it. It's Jesus. It's clear. It's right here. You got to love him. You got to get to know him. You got to trust him. For Christians, this should fire us up. We can be fired up about this stuff. We can have conviction in the word of God. We can trust him. I mean, look at the church in Acts. My wife helped me remember this as I was practicing before. 
And she said, yeah, look at, the, look at the book of Acts. They're in prison and they're preaching and then they get thrown in prison and then they sing hymns and then they go back out and then they, they preach and then they do it all over again. And we see people dying for this because they love Jesus and they realize that he's the only way. He's it. He himself. And so in conclusion, believer, man, be encouraged by this. This is right. This is true. Jesus is the truth. You don't have to look anywhere else. It's him. It's him. And for unbeliever here, you just came. You never heard somebody talk about this before. And maybe you even thought, man, these Christians are so narrow-minded. But I may challenge you and say, what other option do we got? He's the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not going anywhere else. I can't. I can't concede that other ways get there. I can't. So unbeliever, turn to him. Trust him. See from scripture. See that you're in a terrible place, that you need your sins dealt with. And Jesus, as an encouragement, says, I am the way. Come to him. Come to him. Bow your heads. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus loved his men so perfectly. Thank you that he loved his men and he taught them right before he was left when they were confused, when they didn't have any idea what was going on. And yet Jesus, you remind them, I'm it. God, for us believers, oh, we love it. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that it's not a bunch of rules to follow, but it's about Jesus Christ and that we can serve him and love him. Yeah, we want to follow you. And so that includes rules, but it's not about rules to come to you. It's about Jesus. So I thank you for that. Thank you that this text makes that clear. God, I pray for unbelievers here that if they don't know you, that from tonight, that they would see from Scripture, that they would see that Jesus is the only way and that he offers his arms wide open, that he's willing for, you, for them to come to you. God, what beautiful things we have seen in your word tonight. God, would they saturate our minds? Would we, like John talks about truth, practice the truth? Would we model our lives after our Lord? God, May you get the glory tonight, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Oh, Jesus, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.